0: 2020 bringing a biblical perspective on life culture and current events weekdays on UCB's vision radio network find out more at vision.org.au hello it's neil johnson welcome to today's 2020 podcast remember you can hear 2020 each weekday on the vision radio network from 10 a.m australian eastern time Well, 12 million people is the population of a city like Los Angeles or maybe Jakarta. It's a big figure and it's estimated that's the number of victims who are caught up in sex trafficking around the world each year. Parents will often sell their children in this heartbreaking trade just to survive. Most of them are young girls. This is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. It's a world away from the life that most of us know, a world that regards these innocents as almost subhuman, as commodities to be bought and sold mostly to Westerners in an evil trade. It all makes a movie that's just been released compelling and disturbing viewing. Confronting as it is, it's a vitally important story. The film is Trade of Innocence. And Lee Hatcher is speaking to two key people behind the movie.
1: This film is Trade of Innocence. It's the product of a unique collaboration between a doctor who'd gone to Cambodia to look at building a Christian hospital there and a multi-award winning motion picture writer and director who had one life-changing dream. This is quite a story. In a moment we'll speak with that director and writer, Christopher Bessette. Before that, I want you to meet the doctor who, some six years ago, felt compelled to do something about this shocking trade. He's Dr. Bill Bolthouse, and he joins us now. Bill, welcome.
2: Thanks, Lee. It's great to be with you today.
1: I'm so honoured to speak with you, Bill. You'd gone to Cambodia with your wife and three young daughters. Had you had much awareness of sex trafficking at that stage? You
2: know, we knew that it existed, but the experience that our family had while in Cambodia really changed our lives. I wish I could say that I was the one taking the lead on this whole thing, but, uh, but actually I was there more for a medical mission, and I was getting so busy with the medical work, I told my wife and to take the kids and go to the beach uh, because I wouldn't be home very often. And so she did, and while on that trip to the beach, she uh, met up with um, a group that we were familiar with that uh, was in Cambodia rescuing girls out of the sex trade. She uh, was very gracious to them and said, well, is there anything I can do uh, while we're here? Could I take you all out to dinner? They had a table for 23, and seven of those girls were recently rescued uh, victims of sexual trafficking as my wife interacted with them she began to feel like you know these these giggles that i'm hearing are from a lot younger girls than 17 and 18 year olds and it turns out that the girls were more like 13 and 14 years old my daughters at the time were aged 10 10 and 8 they they had a great time they uh, laughed And at the end of the evening, my daughters uh, retreated to their hotel room and and just began to weep. They had a very angry prayer God, why do we live in a world where this can happen? Isn't there something we can do that could change this situation? We believe in a God who answers the prayers of little girls. God began moving in the heart of a man named Christopher Bissett, he was a filmmaker. Um, but he was called to Cambodia a few years after we were there. And while he was there, his heart was moved. And then he had a dream one night. And in his dream, he saw me. It took us just a day of talking and praying about it to get back to him and say, yeah, I think we do. And uh, that sent our family then a pretty much a three-year odyssey of what it means to make a Hollywood picture. It's been quite a ride.
1: Bill, we might pick up the story with Christopher Bissett himself. Christopher, welcome.
3: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. It's
1: great to uh, have you with us. This first came onto your radar over a coffee with a friend. Tell us about that, Christopher.
3: I live in Canada, and uh, we were having coffee, and she shared with me her missions work in Cambodia. She shared with me the plight of the Cambodian people, and my heart was broken I have a heart for the underdog, I wanted to make a film immediately to bring healing to a nation. Two months later, I get a call from Crossroads Christian Communications. Now, I had worked for them 17 years earlier, so it was a call out of the blue, would you be available to go? I said, sure, where are you going? Cambodia. (laughs) (laughs) Said, perfect. I have got a story to tell there anyway, so I served Crossroads Christian Communications in telling their story, but it also served for me as a scouting trip to learn so much more about that industry and what was happening there.
1: You actually witnessed a real-life scene in Cambodia, very similar to one in the movie, between a 60-year-old Caucasian male and an 8-year-old Cambodian girl.
3: Yes, I did. Uh, There's a scene that takes place in a bar uh, of a hotel, and uh, so I set the scene exactly as I lived it. I was there with an investigator on the night that I witnessed this happen. And uh, a Caucasian man, 60-year-old Caucasian man, came in with a Cambodian man and a little girl, approximately eight years old. After a short period of time, the Cambodian man got up and left, leaving the older Caucasian man with the little girl. And then he put his arm around her and started stroking the inside of her thigh, not something that a father does with a daughter. So my red flags were up, and the band asked for requests for songs, and he requested Puppy Love. And the investigator I was with, we started taking pictures of this man so that we could run it past Interpol. He can't just rush in and grab the girl and dash, so to speak, because you may save one at that time present time but you could in turn sacrifice another 30 girls that you can't see and so when we did that scene for the movie recreated the scene for the movie i actually wept Mm. on set one of my producers said to me christopher what's the matter and i said i'm just reliving that night and i just wish i could have done more for that little girl and he says well now you are
1: and yes, you I have. hope
3: so. Yeah. I, ho- I hope that your audience goes, sees the film, takes it to heart, and recognizes that all of the portrayals in the film are representative of real people on the front lines fighting the fight.
1: Can I take you back to when you were first kind of scouting, as you said, in Cambodia? You had this dream. Can you explain what that dream was and how that then played out?
3: yeah. What happened was I came back from that trip to Cambodia, and now the story is burning in my heart. Mm. Some producers in Toronto, Canada, contacted me about writing and doing an adaptation of a book uh, and turning it into a feature film, which I would direct. I said, sure, I'd be interested, but I have a story I'd like to tell. And I shared with them my story for Trade of Innocence. I mean, they were thrilled. They were excited. They wanted to be a part of that. So seven months of negotiations goes by, and one day, God says to me in his still small voice, don't call them. So that very day, my wife, knowing that we were close to the deal and everything was going to happen with these guys in Toronto, she said, well, you know, you're going to wrap it up today and everything. I said, "Nope." She said, what? why not? I said, well, I believe God spoke to me, and, and I have to be obedient, so I can't go through with these guys. So I abandoned any hope of getting financing to tell the story just because I believe God spoke. I didn't quite know what to do with Ben, then, you know, because I'm a family man. I, I have children and a house and a wife and bills to pay, like everyone does. But that night, I had a dream, and in my dream, I dreamt of a man that I met three times three years earlier. I dreamt of a map, a very unique map of Cambodia. Even the colors were green and yellow, everything specific, and then I saw a watch on the bottom corner of that map, and the time on the watch said around 2.10, but I had a hard time telling what time it was. because. The big hand kept sweeping up to 210, 215, 220, 225. But then God says to me in that dream, now is the time. And I get up. I I mean, I tell my wife about the dream. I tell some friends at church about this. And then some days pass. I thought, well, what do I got to lose? I'm going to try to reach out to that man I dreamt about.
1: This is Bill Bolthouse.
3: It turned out to be Bill Bolthouse. Yes, Yes, it was Bill But I actually connected with his wife, not him, because, I mean, three years had passed. I had an email address for her. She responded first, and she said, Christopher, you've ignited a passion in me, in us. We have been to Cambodia. We have been involved with an organization in the rescue of children from the sex trade. We'd like to be involved. I mean, I was floored, first of all, to dream of the man that had a passion for what i wanted to do was incredible but it gets better (laughs) so bill and i now decide to skype him and i said to him bill i don't want to shake your theological tree here but i'm (laughs) going to tell you that i believe that god speaks the only reason that i contacted you in the very first place was because i dreamt of you in the role of producer And I dreamt of a map, a very unique map of Cambodia, that's all I'd said. And then I dreamt of a watch, and the time said 210, but it kept sweeping up, and I had a hard time telling what time it was. But I believe God said to me, now is the time. And we're looking at each other on Skype, and he says, just a moment. He got up from his desk, he came back with a booklet it looked like in his hand. He says, does this mean anything to you? I said, no, I've never seen it before. He said, how about this? He opened it up, and it was the exact map of my dream, color and all. (sighs) I began to weep. (laughs) I'm God, creator of the universe, he's so gracious to speak to
1: me. He's gone before you.
3: Amen. Mm. Amen. And the time on the clock, interesting enough, 2.10, was 2010 when all the financing came in and we started uh, working on the project started writing the movie and then everything just began from there.
1: What a remarkable story. And the story you've told is a confronting experience, at times unbelievable in our eyes, but a very important one for people in the comfortable West to see. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be disturbed by this, even deeply, by what you see, What do you hope that people might actually do after seeing it, Christopher?
3: I hope that same fire that was ignited in Bill and Lori Bolthouse and in me would be ignited in them. You know, I think that this is so close to the heart of God. I don't know how we could walk by. We have to pay attention. And I hope that people get involved with some of the tremendous organizations that are in Australia that are fighting the fight on the front lines, making a difference to change the fear equation where organized crime is trafficking human beings. I think it's time that we as believers stand up.
1: I think you're right. Christopher Said thank you so much indeed for joining us.
0: It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to the 2020 Podcast on the Vision Radio Network. We're talking about the film Trade of Innocence. It's a product of a unique collaboration between a doctor who'd gone to Cambodia to look at building a Christian hospital there and a multi-award winning motion picture writer and director who had one life changing dream. Lee Hatcher's been chatting to both Dr. Bill Bolthouse and filmmaker Christopher Bassett about this brand new film. We'll return to Lee as he wraps up the conversation.
1: I want to go back to Bill Bolthouse and ask you, Bill, before you came across Christopher and had this whole experience with Trade of Innocence, had you had much awareness of this sex trade?
2: Again, we were just somewhat aware that this existed Um, We were familiar with the group that rescues girls. Um, It's called the International Justice Mission. We had supported them in the past and knew that this was a problem. But it didn't really reach our heart, you know, that these are young children, much like our own girls. In fact, you know, them being ages 10 and 9, um, the average age that a girl is first sold into a brothel is eleven. So this is the age that our girls were back then, and um, it really brought it home that whole experience of being there and seeing them, meeting them, and saying, "Wow, this this is this really happened."
1: And understanding the magnitude of it, because it's much much bigger than I think the vast majority of us understand.
2: Yeah, my wife puts it this way. She said, "This problem is more horrible than any of us can ever imagine, but there's also more hope." than we can ever imagine as well. There are really good people on the front lines that are fighting this fight, and we can join them and help them. People that investigate um, brothels or situations where kids could be trafficked, people that do the aftercare that's needed for several years uh, for the stress and trauma that these kids have endured by their abusers. People that advocate for the change of laws that, um, strengthen the laws and make them, uh, so that they can put perpetrators away and that, uh, girls can be, um, rehabilitated. So, and also fair trade, the, you know, selling of goods and other things that, mm-hmm. that girls can now produce that will help to, um, you know, give them, a, a life and a career outside of, uh, sex trip.
1: Bill how did you feel when you first saw Trade of Innocence as a complete movie because it's a very confronting movie
2: we were there in Thailand we filmed it in Thailand over three months in 2011 and every day since we filmed it digitally we were able to see some of the scenes but when we finally put it together it was very moving it's been really fun because we're not filmmakers That's not my career I'm in medicine Um but it's been really fun to see every aspect of filmmaking, from the development of the script to getting the right actors and actresses involved and casting, to the um, you know the actual filming of the thing and how they do that all out of sequence, and then putting it all together and editing, and then adding music and, and things. It was it was just really exciting to see. But all this time we had one vision in mind, and that was we wanted this film to make people aware of the issue, but not just be aware of it, move them to action. And so we, at the end of our movie, we put together this website that people can go to, and it's, and it's just a portal that takes them directly to the um, organizations that are doing the work.
1: Can you explain to us the picture you have in your mind of the movie's tagline, Justice Needs a Hero, what that means to you, and what do you hope it will mean to many others, Bill?
2: I think of that little girl that's locked away in a room. Um, She's been maybe sold by her family, or maybe she's a runaway, maybe there's been uh, drugs involved. Whatever way she got there, she's not there on her own free will anymore. She's locked away, and she's about to be uh, raped for money, essentially. That girl needs a hero. And so that's what it means to be a hero. Do one thing. Just just do one thing to um, help the situation and find an organization that you really connect with. Maybe it's aftercare. Maybe it's fair trade and buying a scarf that's made by these girls now or something of that nature or you know, the the investigations or the advocacy, just do one thing to unlock that door and let that girl out. I think that's what it means
1: to be a hero. It's a powerful and necessary challenge and certainly something we need to have on our radar. Bill Bolthouse, congratulations for all your work and all your heart in this. It's been such a great privilege to speak with you. Bill, thank you so much.
0: Thank you.